following program is an MLWRadio.com production. Today's episode of What Happened When Monday is brought to you by BrandNewHouse.com. Are you ready to make your dream of owning a brand new house a reality? Well, it's easier than you think at BrandNewHouse.com. You'll get low monthly payments. We're talking cheaper than what you're paying in your current rent. You can even buy a house with no money down. You don't even need perfect credit to do so. You don't need any repairs because your house is brand new. And of course, brand new means you get a warranty. You choose everything in your brand new house and it can fit any budget at BrandNewHouse.com. You'll get to choose the color of your brick, the kitchen cabinets, the countertops, the flooring, and more. And you even pick your monthly payment. Your brand new house is just a few clicks away at brandnewhouse.com. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. Jim Crockett for Starcade, 605 NWA, TV title, Cajun Army, the Bunkhouse Stampede. Flair and Horseman, Garvin, Bogey, Magnum, Dusty, Express Tactics, Turner, Bonin, Mid-South Joint World Championship Wrestling. Talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotion. Tony and Friends North, they win, look, Shivani's back again. World title split off, center stage, Bischoff, Disney, Hogan, and Nitro, New World Order, and the Crow. Thunder Russo, Arquette Champ, Vinnie Mac, simulcast. Tony's back with Conrad, not your classy podcast. Watch along, try not to laugh, lowest rules, cat back. This wasn't the initial plan, Tom Ziggs a good looking man. Klondike Bill, make a chair. Tommy, you come over here. What happened when? WHW Monday. And now, let's go to the ring. And here's your co-host, Hey Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? That's right, with Tony Schiavone. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, you know, one thing that I've learned over the week, Conrad, is not to fuck with Conrad Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have learned. Uh, it's kind of like uh, the male version of Lois Schiavone. You push the bear only so far, and the bears go bite you, so... Uh, I've learned that. How you doing, buddy? Man, I am excited to cover this show today, and I guess we should tell everybody what a treat we're in for today. Now, next week, set your calendars, folks. It's Super Brawl 3, White Castle of Fear. We're finally covering that show, and it's going down next week right here. But first, today we're covering Clash of the Champions 10, and this is pretty remarkable because we've never done anything like this. What makes this show different from all the others that we've covered, Tony? Uh, the fact that I was not on this show, uh, and I was watching the show as it happened, working for the WWE while I was in Connecticut back at that time. That's what makes a difference. Uh, also, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good indication of the direction that WCW was going in at that time, which was shitty. Oh, I disagree. I really enjoyed this. You really liked the show. Okay. I agree with, I, there were a lot of things I did like, but there are a lot of things that I look back on and think. And those guys just did not know how to do television. Well, uh, with the exception of a couple guys, right? Keith Mitchell always knew what he was doing. But other than that, I mean, that that to me, that show had Jim Hurd's fingerprints all over. So, well, I'm, I'm excited about this show, and what I'm going to encourage you to do at home right now is go ahead and fire up your WWE Network, and uh, we haven't done a watch along in a few weeks, but this one is going to be fun. So watch if you can. If you can't, we're still going to paint some word pictures for you and try to make it enjoyable. 
We want to remind you we're covering clash of the champions 10 here. This goes down on February 6, 1990. So tomorrow is the anniversary of this show. And it's kind of fun because Tony wasn't there. And, uh, now I think it's time we go ahead and tag in our tag team partner. Cause we're really a six man tag team champions of the world here on the show. Tony, are we ever, well, let's see if we can find her. You think she's up and stirring around yet? I don't know. Let's see if we can kick the other bear here in the ass. How about if I do it in French? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let me see. How, how do you count? Um, I forgot how to count in French. Holy shit. <laughs> um, I, how do you, how do you pronounce? Oh, wait a minute. She's got two degrees, guys. She's got what's got and got some on her masters. I forgot the French. Let's see. Oh no. No. Oh no. Duo. Trio. That's Latin. Okay. I don't know. Okay. One, two, three. Play. Old school graphics here, man. Uh, at the time, I thought this was awesome. It was uh, kind of new for you guys to have such a big concept like this. And the, the nickname for the show is Texas Shootout. So we've got one of these old Western style shooting exhibitions. And I don't know if they would ever do this now. It doesn't yeah. really seem like something anybody would do just based on gun violence and all that. But right. at the time, this was fun. Well, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I, I thought it was a pretty good graphic. You know, all this was, uh, th- all this was an idea, and, and I'm talking about the names and all that. All this was an idea of, of Turner Home Entertainment. Texas Shootout. Those looks like some Dave Silva graphics. And by the way, I've seen this show before. I watched it just uh, this past week, live here in Corpus Christi. And uh, young Dave Silva, I do believe, is in the stands at that time. Are you serious? <laughs> Well, it looked like it. Oh. Take, <laughs> take a look at this crew here, would you? Now, there was a, there was a, I don't know if, if this uh, made the dirt sheets or not, but there was a lot of talk, especially up north at that time, about the one-liners that Cornette and JR uh, threw out during the course of the show. Uh, it was obviously a bunch of written-down one-liners, but still, because they're very good at what they do, it, it still worked. You know, this show is is much better production to me than we normally see from WCW. I'm fresh off of watching the main event with Bruce Pritchard from 88. And the way you guys open with graphics, and we've got this stand-up shot from afar with the crowd behind you guys. I just felt this was much, much better production than what we're normally used to. And Terry Funk is our ringside correspondent for this. And he's calling himself tuxedo Terry Funk, which is kind of funny. And he's telling everybody at home to pull out your hog legs. (laughs) and that just cracked me up and i thought boy this is the perfect show for us i mean on this show pull out your hog legs yes but he's talking about a hog leg and a 22 that you probably shouldn't pull out these days especially well i mean he's on the pa right now right yeah so he's saying pull out your guns we're in texas i'm thinking wow but he's talking to the people on the uh, television wanting to blow there and here is the legend himself gordon Soley. I thought Gordon was in in full Gordon mode here. Everybody else was kind of over the top, and he was a little bit subdued. Uh, uh, Gordon was uh, one of the things I thought was great about Gordon was Gordon could mess up a line or misspeak a line, 
And you never knew it because he was so smooth at what he did. Uh, and, and to me, uh, this is really kind of a, uh, what a great a, shot that was with the shoulder pads being the first thing you see Yeah, as the uh, Legion of doom or the road warriors make their way to Gordon. I just thought this was well done. Who was the director for this? Was this all Keith Mitchell? Yeah, this was Keith Mitchell's directing at this time. It's outstanding. Now, yeah. You notice Gordon is, is making sure that those, he had his left hand up there, making sure that those spikes stay away from him. Uh, and of course, look, Hawk to me was always, they were both badasses, but Hawk was like just a scary figure. And until I really got to know him, I was kind of scared of him. And, uh, Jr. with the uh, pocket square in always looked dapper. Uh, and of course, uh, he and corny together, uh, we're now promoting the, the wrestling hotline behind the scenes for the NWA rest. This is pre Gene Okerlund wrestling hotline. But it's still one nine hundred nine oh nine. Give a fuck. And what's interesting here about the hotline is you guys were trying something different. Instead of just calling and listening to Sting, you got to call and talk to Sting. How did that work? They would have uh, random callers in the back, and they would say like, "All right, let's do caller number ten." And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You're going to talk to Sting, and Sting would be back there talking to you. So it's time now to go to a break because we've got. Uh, I did. Did you ever spend much time getting to know Sir Oliver Humperdinck I before he passed away? He's nicknamed here the Big Kahuna, tugging on that right ear to let somebody at home know he's watching. Was that for his wife or his kids, or who was he doing no, that for? No, he was never married. Uh, I, I really don't know what the, what that was about. He was he was a single guy. It could have been for some of his other family members, but um, he passed away in 2011. Uh, he was one of my favorites. He was old school, man. He was old school. And of Look course, at this. Now, Can you believe what we're seeing right now? If you haven't watched this yet... You owe it to yourself. WCW decided Dr. Death is his name. Oh, cool. Well, let's do a vignette with him in an ambulance trying to save lives. And the person he's going to help. Who is that? It looked like Tom Zink at first. It is. It is. Oh, he's, he's over. Yeah, man. And the, the fake chest compression. <laughs> I it, know. And oh. it. God, he's having it's a drug overdose. Whoa, one, whoo, ha. Hey, this see this is this is what I'm saying. This has Jim Hurd's fingerprints all over That's this. That's awful. I'll give you that, but it's so cheesy <laughs> that I love it. I mean, I, I can't encourage you to watch this enough. <laughs> uh graphics weren't that bad. Dr. Death against the Samoan Savage, which I guess was also the Tongan kid at one time. And if if I'm right, isn't he the uh the not, not Dr. Death as he walking in here, but isn't Samoan Savage the uncles of the Usos? The yeah, the Usos? you know, it's it's weird because all those Samoans are the same family except yeah. for Samoa Joe. So they're all related. Everybody's a cousin uh, or a brother or an uncle except Samoa Joe. They're like, never heard of you. It must be <laughs> awkward when he shows up to the family reunions, right? Yeah, I would think so. And I would think that uh, after about a couple of swigs of whiskey, there's a lot of fights going on there. And if Ming's there, he may bite a bite a segment out of your uh, out of your shoulder just for just, just for, for fun. fun. Yeah, I mean we're out of potato salad. I'm gonna eat your shoulder now, <laughs> Um So this goes down as we said at the uh, Memorial Coliseum in Corpus Christi. There's only about three thousand folks there, and Jim Ross is going to multiple times refer to this as being sold out. But when they're walking to the ring, it is a sparse crowd on the floor by the ramp, so it doesn't necessarily look awesome on TV. But as far as the steady cam shots, it does look like a rowdy, raucous crowd, even though it's a relatively small building. They only have a gate for about 30,000, but 
but it does a 4.5 rating, which means uh, 2,425,000 homes. So pretty good for WCW in 1990, a time when the business is on the way down just a little bit. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah. The business is on the way down, especially for them, uh, back at this time. And, uh, you know, we're, we're moving into the nineties now. WWF has had uh, the Hulk Hogan heyday. And now, uh, this promotion is trying to build itself on sting and the nature boy, Ric Flair. I found it interesting. A couple of things now, now I, I know we're watching the match, but I want you to pay attention, uh, here at ringside that there is always a security guard standing up yep. a cup level. And he is constantly in the way of these fans. And these fans at times are going to ask him, would you please set your ass down? And he goes say, no, I'm not going to set my ass down. He keeps hanging onto his joint for some reason. He's got his hand in his pocket right now. Now, uh, saying that, I want you to pay, pay attention to the match. But before you do, I want you to take a look that I do believe that a, uh, that a, a, a 10-year-old Dave Silva is in the stands. Mm. And we're going to see him over on the right. Seeing that red Harry Potter uh, type uh, looking outfit there. Uh, keep your eye on him because I think that's Dave Silva. He's there in the he he's in the front row, right? Front row, red. Yeah, yeah, right. Man, that's so cool that his parents brought him over the border to see a wrestling show isn't, in isn't 1990. Isn't that as a, as a matter of fact? I think at one time that Sir Oliver Humperdinck leaned over and said, "Could I see your passport or your green card?" Have you um Have you ever been in the room when Dave Silva got a telephone call? Actually, uh, no, I've not. You know, what's interesting, first of all, is Dave Silva, who has all this technology to make all of our wonderful graphics here at WHW Monday. And how about woman there? It's yeah. kind of sad to see woman sitting ringside. She's a beautiful woman here. Oh, gorgeous. But, uh, it's a shame no one, you know, what we know now. Yeah. Um, um, but anyway, Dave Silva, you know, he has all this, uh, know-how with Photoshop and all these really complicated programs. Yet he still carries a flip phone. He has the razor. Are you familiar with the old razor telephone? Oh, from like yeah, 15 I, had a, years? I had a razor back in like 2000. Well, he has one now. And I guess, uh, it, it has a ringtone that's unique. Probably to minor years. You haven't heard this. No. If you're ever around and Dave Silva gets a call. Well, so, do you have anything on, on woman here? Nancy Sullivan sitting rings out. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about her. No. Uh, what a tragedy from uh, probably the greatest tragedy in the history of wrestling. And most people closely associate her with doom who she managed or Kevin Sullivan. And of course, Chris Benoit. And some people have had a take that she was kind of a weird lady. Um, maybe some of that started with Kevin Sullivan. I don't know. Uh, do you have any memories at all, one way or another, about woman? Yeah, I do. Uh, first of all, let me say, as far as the show is concerned, uh, there was, uh, and this was uh, completely WCW. There was a complete mix-up, I thought, here about woman. They showed her coming in and sitting down. They didn't talk about why she was there. If there was a storyline that she was scouting talent, uh, JR and uh, Corny missed it or weren't told what to say. That's probably more than likely what to say. And then when Doom came out, you'll see them come out later with the graphics with woman. She was not with them. So again, they mixed up, but she, a gorgeous lady. What we knew about, what I always knew about Nancy or had heard about Nancy was she was a tough lady. Right. Uh, that, uh, that if uh, you fooled with her, uh, she'd cut you. 
I don't know what that meant. I don't well, know if she carried a razor blade or a knife yes. with her or what to protect herself, but I, she'd cut you. I'm glad you mentioned that because I've been told that sometimes to, uh, quote unquote, keep the marks away, she would tape little razor blades to her fingers uh-huh. and would like pat them on the back or the shoulder or whatever. And mm-hmm. she was doing it sort of nonchalant. So it doesn't seem like she's trying to do anything, but she's actually cutting their back and shoulder with every tap mm-hmm. and she would try to see how often she could get away with it. I've heard it more than one wrestler tell me that she had these weird little razor hijinks that she would just use in her everyday life. And it's funny yeah. that I mean, you've never talked about that, but you hit me with the same thing. She would cut you. Yeah, she'd cut you. So she was tough and, uh, she was a tough girl. And not only that, um, uh, I, uh, I was, uh, not, I was next to her and Kevin one time at the hotel mm-hmm. and they got into a big time argument, big time argument. And she, wow, it, it was, she was cutting the hell of a promo on Kevin. <laughs> I can tell you that. And, and I didn't hear, I didn't hear the words exactly. But it was a big time promo, and I was thinking, man, this girl, you can't fuck around with her. So uh, th- th- those are some of the things I remember about Nancy. And again, yeah, it's a, it is a horrible story, and it's a heartbreaking story. And uh, she was just a gorgeous girl. And, but but and this sounds stupid to say or weird to say after what we've just said. She was a sweet lady. She was so, <laughs> nice. She was so nice to me. She may have patted me on the back. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, there's uh, the big kahuna with a shot of his own. I thought Oliver Humperdinck had a great look about him. You know, his bug-eyed look. and uh, But he was one of the guys that would just do anything at all. <sighs> well, let's talk a little bit about this show. Jim Cornette is uh, not just doing commentary at this time. He's also a part of the booking committee, which he says earns him an extra 300 bucks a week. And he's also co-hosting the television show main event. And, uh, this is the time of course that Jim Hurd was in charge and right. Courtney has said that they'd have a show written and then Hurd would go through and take out all the live interviews and replace them with 30 second pre-tapes because he right. didn't like live interviews. And he says that probably went back to when Hurd was a director in the sixties in St. Louis for Sam Mushnick and Mushnick didn't do live interviews. So Hurd didn't think he should have them in 1990 either. And all of this annoyed Rick, who was sort of leading the booking committee. So when he'd find out about this, he'd have Cornette change it back. And then some of the problems with flair and herd would resume. Is that the way you remember hearing this? Yeah, I heard that that way, but, but also I heard that Jim Hurd wanted to do pre-tapes because that's what the WWE did back then. Mm-hmm. And he was tried to follow suit with what they were doing because, and I was in the WWE at that time and we did a lot of pre-tapes. During pay-per-views, uh, a lot of those things were done pre-tape wise. So, um, that was the reason that I heard that he, that heard did that. Uh, you know, we're not having a, we're not having really a, a bad match here. I mean, it could have been here much more. Of a, Here's our finish. Yeah. We're going to do just look, look at him and a little backslide. Mike Atkinson, a one, a two, we got a winner. Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Now he's going to hop in the ambulance, I guess, and ride off into the sunset. It's amazing to watch some of these old shows and see how many of these guys are no longer with us. And of course we lost Dr. Death. What was your experience with Dr. Death? Did you spend much time with him? 
No, not much at all. Just, uh, just hello. How you doing? Good to see you. Uh, anything I can do to put you over anything you want me to say, things like that. Nothing much. We're going to a commercial break here on the show and we're, we're teasing that up next. We've got Terry Funk talking with the horseman. And this is one of the most iconic segments of my childhood as a kid coming up here. Um, but first, it's time for wrestle war. Yeah. Rick Flair and the broads coming to, Ooh, why didn't he look good at that time? And sting sting is the scorpion Lex Luger and the world championship title and the U S and Dr. Death, Steve Williams. I don't think I'm a good, uh, ad lib rapper. Do you No, And, and this rap is something you really got to see. Yeah. I've linked it on my Twitter. We're going to link it on our Facebook as well over at facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday, but you have got to see this mm-hmm. promotional rap for wrestle ward, 1990 wild thing and in the bottom right hand corner, you see yeah. sting and Ric Flair appear just their heads and they wild say thing. wild thing, <laughs> wild Flair thing, good job. wild thing, wild thing. It's unbelievable that this was actually a thing. It was, well, it was a Turner Home Entertainment thing. The rapping about Sting and his affinity for scorpions is just outstanding. Using the scientific terms and whatnot. So next up, we've got Terry Funk, who is, uh, I guess, trying to have sort of a second career here in wrestling. Uh, Wanting to step out of the ring and instead just be a part and, and be a stick man. I've always enjoyed when Terry would sort of retire, come back, retire, come back. I know it became a joke, but he's one of my favorite all-time performers. Anything that gets him on TV, I'm, I'm for. I am too. Here, though, is you are going to see, and, and I know what you're talking about. This is one of the iconic interviews where the horsemen turn on seeing. But now we're looking back at it 28 years later, right? Right. And what I'm, what I see here, and I'm seeing this as, as, as strictly a production person and a producer. Oh, I know exactly what you're going to say about Ole having his back to the hard cam the whole time. Yeah. And, and well, and Terry Funk did too. Basically we, we got into a bald spot shot. Basically. Let me say though, uh, and WCW, we bag on them quite a bit here on the show for some of the decisions that were made. The entrance set that you guys were using here with the big lighting set and all that, that looked really cool. Yes. And that would look cool. Now I want to mention the ruse ring post that we're seeing right there, because we've, we've talked about those before very briefly. It's my understanding that that's actually a sponsorship that Jim Hurd was able to pull because they're based out of St. Louis. So right. they're going to be on the ring apron and on the posts and their tagline is something like shoes for your feet, pockets for your stuff. The gimmick being, uh, these shoes have pockets in them. Yeah. And Heard had sold that not only would we do all this other stuff, but we're going to get the guys to actually wrestle in ruse. And a few guys tried it, but then everybody sort of rebelled against it. But even Flair tonight is going to have a sticker for ruse on his shoes. Do you remember anything about the ruse association? Uh, only that by the time I got there, it was pretty much over. It didn't last long. I, I know that uh, Rick Steiner had a ruse shoes on, or at least had a sticker on his shoe. That said ruse, but by the time I got there, no, it, it was pretty much done at that time. Now, see, uh, cameraman kind of jostling around here to try to find a good spot, but what, what makes this work? You got to agree. 
and I know I'm a big mark for him, but what makes this work is Ole Anderson's interview. No doubt about it. Ole Anderson is one of the best and most underrated interviews ever because it was just believable. Right. And, and the way he's talking to Sting with his rat tail here is very, very believable. And they're telling him in front of everybody, whenever we're, we have an opportunity to, uh, appear in front of a national audience, we want to make a statement and the statement we're here for tonight and listen up is you're no longer a horseman and you've got two hours to fix it. Rick has been very gracious to you and allowed you a second chance because you've looked out for him. But if you don't go to the promoters and say, you don't want your title shot on February 25th, then you're not only kicked out of the horseman, we're going to kick your ass. Sting did a great job of reacting here. Uh, and, and again, Ole was, was very, very good. Uh, and they also referred to the Ironman competition that they had, uh, prior to that, uh, great, great reaction from Sting. This was all a very, very good angle. And unfortunately, as we're going to see a little bit later on, the night culminated in, in Sting blowing out his knee. Um, it's worth mentioning Sting here is 30 years old. Uh, he's going to be 31 a month and change after this show. Yeah, we also have in our main event, we'll see later on, Buzz Sawyer, and two years later, he's going to be dead. Uh, but but again, th- this bothers me because only th- as a producer, only thing I'm seeing now is orange, bald spot, and Ole's thinning hair. You know, what? it's funny that you say that because I had yeah. the complete different reaction from this. I am so used to seeing wrestling framed perfectly for the hard camera, whether someone is trying to sell a submission move or cut a promo. This had a layer of realism because you couldn't really see it. It didn't feel like it was phony because it wasn't so well-framed if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with that. And, uh, uh, what, what's, what, what saved it is just Ole Anderson's monologue here, which was tremendous. And what's great about Ole's and Ole's promo is it's not memorized. Like you can tell he's starting some things and isn't happy with what he's saying and he'll just switch to something else. That adds to a level of realism because if you're really frustrated, you know, you're going to, you're going to chop up a word or two here or there. And he did. Yeah. And this is one of the better segments. Uh, probably my favorite time that Sting was kicked out of the horseman. Is this your favorite time that Ric Flair turned on Sting? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, I, and again, I was watching, I was watching this in Howard Finkel's house, by the way, uh, in Connecticut when it went down. Uh, also, I, I, I do want to say too, I, when Vince bought Georgia Championship Wrestling and took over uh, the TBS time slot, you know, that was kind of sold out from underneath Ole. And Ole was very, very difficult and very unkind to Vince and very unkind to Linda, too. And I've talked to Ole since then. And Ole, of course, his, his health is not ooh, cold cocking sting. This is very, very good. This is, to me, this is horsemen at their best, right? Just holding him back and let. Flair paintbrush sting that that's that is a complete complete bully and that's what they were they were bullies and that's why they were such good heels but uh it was sold out from underneath him and he was very angry with vince and vince approached Ole and said we are going to do great business together and Ole basically said go fuck yourself and he said i want you to meet my wife linda and he told linda to go fuck herself uh, Ole did. And Ole now says years and years later, and of course he's in a wheelchair as Ole now, he says it's not that good. He said it was the biggest mistake he's ever made in wrestling. 
Well, I, I think a lot of people, only included, didn't imagine, hey, this is it. Either you get along with Vince or you're, you're done. Right. And I think anybody really given their, their druthers to pick, hey, it might not be the way you want to be in wrestling, but if you want to be in wrestling and make the most money, you got to get along with this guy. Or if you can't, you know, get out of the fucking business. Mm-hmm. Get an electrician's license. Speaking of electricians, here we are with a couple of assholes, the mod squad. Uh, how would you describe the mod squad? Uh, they were, uh, to me, they look like somebody from, uh, chips, right? The so, old television show chips. Maybe your favorite tag team ever. Brian, Brian Pillman and Tom Zink. And anytime we've got Tom on, we have to have you sing his theme song on his way to the ring. Uh, Tom Zink, da 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 da. Tom Zink, hey Conrad, let me tell you why he's the best of all the guys. And dun, 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 dun. Tom Zink, da 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 da. Tom Zink, Conrad in the Grunt Thunderbolt Grease Slapper. Once he's on your tail, he won't quit because to him there's no such word as fail. To Tom Zink, da 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 da. Tom Zink, da 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 da. So how about the, uh, the up top high five and then the down low high five that flying Brian and Z-Man had worked out as they make their way around hot tagging everybody in the crowd. Of course, we are officially naming these guys, um, because they don't really have an official name. It's just flying Brian and Z-Man and much like the rock and roll express and the midnight express before them, I'm officially anointing these guys, the hot tag express. Ooh. They were very good at a lot of things, but they were also very good at generating excitement within themselves. In other words, they did the, the high five, the low five. They would, uh, I'm sure they would have done the, the, the body five that had been, uh, you know, popular back then. But the excitement they showed in the ring wore, uh, kind of rubbed off on the people. And I, I thought that was, I thought they did some great stuff. Plus, they were two very young, good-looking men. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, it's it's just a tragedy. Now, the on the other end, uh, I I don't remember much about the Mod Squad, so I kind of looked them up. They didn't really do much in wrestling at all. Well, I can see why. Look at these fucking guys. <laughs> they were a tag team from '84 uh, to '91, and they're out of uh, South Carolina. They did some stuff with you down in Jim Crockett Promotions, and uh, not a whole lot of other stuff, but. They're legit brothers. It's uh, Jim Jefferson and Mac Jefferson, and they go by Spike and Basher. And with those names, it's no wonder. Well, Basher on the outside to me, as I kept looking at him, looked like he could be a younger version. Look at that. A terrible move. Uh, a, a younger version of Klondike Bill, don't you think? Oh, look at you. Look at you. Kind of a burly, and, and it just so happens. Here he comes in. Oh, an arm drag takedown by the Z-Man Tom Zank. I... So much potential there. And of course, you know, uh, Tom's career did not go the way that we thought it would go or the way he wanted it to go, uh, because he was very disenchanted with the business, uh, as we know. And and then of course he, uh, you know, he basically, uh, kind of like what I did for a while, walked away from the business was never heard from again. Uh, speaking of sort of being disenfranchised from the business and just sort of burn out Ricky steamboat sitting at home here. He's running his gold gyms in North Carolina and uh, he's suing because the NWA had been using his name and advertisements long after he had left the company and lots of wrestlers were on their way out 
after the clash, which would be the Royal family, the dynamic dudes, Ranger Ross. And of course the midnight express were set to finish in may, the Cornette and lane, uh, quit before that Eaton winds up staying. Well, there you go. It's, it's, it's the Jim hurt era. Absolutely. The Jim hurt. I, I, it, it may sound that I that sound like to people that I blame a lot on Jim Hurd, but if you worked in that office, you, you understood why. And he just did not understand the business. He was very combative. Well, that tremendous, tremendous move by Z-Man and Fly Brian. See Brian showing the excitement of that move. And that excited everybody on the front road really excited except young Dave Silva down on the right there in the red Harry Potter robe. Let me uh, mention, uh, since we keep mentioning Dave Silva, Jim Cornette had some, some lines here that are doozies. Yeah. Uh, he says something like, um, attendance would have been greater tonight if the border guards had not increased security. Yeah. And, uh, he, he says something like the concession stand with the towel stand is raking in money because the ticket holders are dripping water all over the floor. <laughs> Wouldn't have been able to get the, get that out on TBS here in, uh, uh, what year are we in? 2018 in 2018. And back to the corner, they go once again, this is spike and the flying Brian, a lot of missed moves in this one. And I'm not so sure it's because the, the guys that they're working with don't know what they're doing or that they didn't want to do some of the things that see like right there with Cornette did a great job of picking up on, well, he missed that one, Jim, but he's back to the attack once again. By the way, I don't think Brian Pillman gets enough love because at this time, Brian Pillman was one of the more innovative, uh, wrestlers in the business, especially in the United States. And even as a kid where I wasn't necessarily quote unquote smart to wrestling. And I don't know that I still am. I'm just having fun. Uh, he was a super fun wrestler to watch. I mean, I remember as a kid thinking that he was probably one of my favorites to watch his matches. He always had uh, a great look and his matches were outstanding. His match with Jushin Thunder Liger at super brawl. If you've never seen it, I can't recommend enough. And if you'll recall the very first nitro, he opened up with Jushin Thunder Liger first match ever. Absolutely. Yeah. You can can hear about that that in archives. Yeah. Uh, uh, to me that tells that, that tells you that how much respect he had from, from the guys in the business that he would open up a brand new show, uh, and do that. And there is, don't you think that looks like a young Klondike bill there? Just, and the old typical referee, look at a young Nick Patrick sending Z man back to the corner as Brian Pillman is separated from his partner. And Spike goes into getting, but Phil, Pillman fighting out. Uh, Pillman doing things that make a, a baby face great, and that he is doing a great job of selling here in the corner. And Big Basher comes in with a a clothesline. One, two, three, and Z-Man comes in to take him away. 3,000 fans here, and there you see in the middle that security guy with his hands in his pocket playing pocket pool in the midst. Uh, just, uh, I, I don't know why security guys were just standing up. They just, I guess they wanted to watch the event. You know, one thing that, that they didn't do here that, that I thought was kind of odd is, and of course I know it's kind of fashionable to do it now. They, they really do it on all the WWE stuff. 
as some of these matches got were kind of dragging. Because let's face it, this is a job guy match, right? Right. Uh, on on a primetime television show, why not take a commercial break and cut this thing up? You're not going to miss anything. You're absolutely not going to miss anything. This is also before the day. This is the days before the referee had the earpiece in, so they had to be cued uh, to when to go home. And normally they were cued by Gene Anderson walking out. And Gene was still with the company at that time. Gene Anderson walking out. When they would see Gene Anderson in the uh, entryway, the referee would tell him to go home. The WWE back then used the pencil in the mouth. Right. Guy ringside. Uh, Jim Crockett Promotions and, and even back then WCW used Gene Anderson walking out. I want to now fighting back. And here's, uh, uh, again, Pillman doing the, just a superb job. And you, you talked about being uh, uh, underrated. Uh, you could do all the high-flying stuff you want, Conrad. But as a babyface, if you don't sell, people are not going to get behind you. They're not. At least back then they wouldn't. And uh, here's a reverse chin lock. Can I, can I mention something here that is kind of out of the ordinary of this match? Please do. Yeah. I want to say hello, and and, a, and I hope I'm not getting him in trouble by saying this. Uh, uh, tip of the cap to our buddy Drake Younger, who is a uh, referee with NXT. Uh, I, I got to see Drake and went to the NXT uh, behind. I went behind the scenes and met a lot of the guys at NXT before uh, their taping in Atlanta recently on Thursday. I got to reconnect with Terry Taylor. Oh. Uh, I hadn't seen Terry in a long time. Terry uh, Taylor. We got to hear this now. Okay, uh, Michael P.S. Hayes, who looks like he's been sucking on an air hose. Uh, Steve Regal, who told me some tremendous jokes, as always. And I got to see, you ready for this? Our buddy, Billy fucking Kidman. Billy wow. said, how you doing? I said, fuck, fuck you, sit down. Uh, <laughs> and uh, no, Billy, we gave each other a hard time. Uh, it was great. And I saw Shawn Michaels. He was behind the scenes there, too. Uh, and... Uh, uh, our buddy Jeremy Borash, who I guess is going to start working for NXT now, got to see him and uh, uh, got to meet Tom Phillips, who was there, uh, Mauro Ronaldo. Uh, really enjoyed meeting everybody. Didn't stay long. You know how I am. I don't stay around long. Yeah, and I, but I did stop by the makeup chair and say hello to all the girls there. Well, what would a visit to TV be without you stopping by the makeup chair? And that's what Drake said. Drake said, you want to come by and look, take a look at the makeup chair? I said, where do you get this shit from, man? Uh, he said the podcast. So anyway, uh, you know, I really like NXT because it's kids trying to make their way up in the business. I know they got Ricochet with them now, and he's eventually going to be on TV with them. He's one of my favorite independents, and it's just a chance for independent kids to really make a name for themselves. And I've been invited to come down to the Performance Center, and I think I'm if I get a chance, I'm going to go down there and see him. Oh, that'll be cool, man. Yeah. You know, it's, what's fun to me is, you know, this time a year ago, you were so damn removed from wrestling that yeah. the idea of you going to a show or ever checking out the here's our finish here yeah and it's a it's a shitty finish because it's a three count and he holds him for like an eight count uh before he gets the uh yeah i know, I know what you're getting at uh, things have changed for me in the business and i really really love the business and then i saw terry taylor and thinking yeah fuck this business <laughs> no i'm kidding uh is terry, getting, is terry taylor still a jack off uh yeah he's yes he is and he's admittedly one. 
I don't know why they, they replayed this shot. A terrible, terrible spot. Yeah. Uh, the mod squad was supposed to follow a little closer. Z-Man couldn't quite get there. Uh, Pillman comes in to make the late save with a drop kick, but it's not the prettiest drop kick. But either way, the Hot Tag Express get the pin. And we're going yeah. to commercial here on Clash of the Champions. Texas shootout. Um, wh- what makes Terry Taylor a fuck in 2018? Well, uh, because Terry Taylor and, and Terry, you know, even said to me, he said, you know, he said, I, I've got as much heat as I've always had. He admittedly gets, gets a lot of heat because Terry doesn't know when to shut up. Well, speaking of people who don't know when to shut up, Gary Michael Capetta here is going to introduce yeah. Cactus Jack as Captain Jack Manson. I know. And what, what blew me away about this is that Capetta always used cue cards. Well, and that's the thing. Capetta has said in years since, it said Captain on the fucking cue card, which to me oh. is amazing. Okay. And now his opponent is Mil Mascaras, who I thought for an 80-year-old guy by this time looked pretty damn good, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I think Mascaras oh. is probably 60. Yeah. Let's yeah, look that up. Every bit. I mean, it's, it's it. I, I don't think, I mean, catch everybody up here. What a legend is Mill Maskers. If you're, and I know you're not a big fan of the Lucha Libras, as you say, but realistically, I mean, this is the biggest star in the history of Mexico, or at least one of the the handful of the biggest stars in the history of Mexico. To me, this is the father of Lucha Libre. When I think of, even today, when I think of mask wrestlers from Mexico, Mill Mascaras is, or Mascaras, as some people have called him is the guy you're thinking about. And we're also seeing a very young uh, Captain Jack. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. Uh, Cactus Jack Manson uh, in the formative years of his career. And we are going to see in this match, uh, Conrad, you and I talked about this last week. We're going to see one of the spots that ended up making Cactus Jack uh, the performer he was. Or it's, the crazy man he was. This is uh, the early days of Cactus Jack. I just checked it out, and it looks like... Uh... Uh, Mill was 47 here. He's going to turn 48 this year, but at the, at the time of this match, he's 47. So he's not as old as we think, but he's always, and I know he's wearing a mask, but I'm saying just his, his body, he's always looked like he was the same age. You know, we talk about how JJ Dillon and Aaron Anderson don't age. I think Mill Mascaris has been 50 years old for about 50 years. Well, let me say this. Uh, it, it, it is well known that, uh, th- through the years when I've been doing baseball, uh, that, uh, players from, uh, the Hispanic players from South America, Mexico, whatever you, you looked at their age that they would put down with a grain of salt. Oh, so he may be, he may be older than they say. I right say. And if you look up what him in Wikipedia, uh, that may not be his real age. So, well, it's like, uh, a buddy of mine says, uh, black don't crack. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, a buddy of mine looks like he's thirty-five and he's fifty-five, but he shaves his head, wears the goatee, makes sure the goatee's always black. Yeah, and uh, whenever people think we're the same age, he'll just wink and say, "Black don't crack." What well, do you think? I look sixty. No, oh, you look. I mean, you look every bit of sixty-five. <laughs> Bull fucking shit. No, I mean not anymore because you're using that new Control GX shampoo from Just for Men. Uh, that really keeps those gray hairs under control. Here's, uh, here's cactus. 
picking really up a plastic chair and putting it down. He's not exactly sure what he's doing, but he's crazy. <laughs> he did that for a bump. Absolutely. Uh, do, do a bump on the back, man. It just, that's how it was. Bang, 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 bang. Uh, and, uh, I think the legend of Cactus Jack began right here. You know, that's really hard to argue because this is the first time where it really caught my attention. Uh, yeah. his crazy character, you know, walking around backwards, tripping over chairs. He's got an interesting look. He doesn't look like every other wrestler. He looks like a villain in GI Joe, right? Right. Have I ever told you the story uh, about uh, me at the uh, Nassau Coliseum and Cactus Jack being in the audience? No. As a fan? No. Okay. Uh, Cactus reminded me of this. And, of course, Cactus was just one of the fans at that time. Uh, we went to the Nassau Coliseum. This is when I was doing a lot of ring announcing for Jim Crockett Promotions. And I got in the ring and I said, ladies and gentlemen, please rise for the playing of our national anthem. And after I said that, I remembered that I was supposed to tell the sound guy to go up top and play the national anthem for me to prepare him for that. Cause I had been doing it a couple of times. I forgot to do it. So everybody stood and I'm paused. I'm thinking there's not going to be a national anthem. So I started singing the national anthem and I sung the national anthem that night, the Nassau Coliseum cactus Jack, Mick Foley was in the stands as a fan at that time and reminded me that he was there that night and heard me sing the national anthem. So that was the, uh, that was my experience with Mick Foley back then as a fan. Well, it's a, it's a fun match to go back and watch here because you get to see, um, what is going to be one of the all time great performers in cactus Jack. And in just a second, they're going to set up. Uh, a, a, a move that I still just shudder to think was real. They're on the outside. Cactus Jack gives a backbreaker to mill. And then he climbs up on the apron. Like he's going to tease his big running elbow on the floor. Mascaris comes around on the other side though, and runs right into cactus and mm. bam flap. Woo. Woo. Hey, he hey, did not. Yeah, he did not hit the back of his head like Cornette and, and Jr. were selling that time. But psh, wh what does it matter? He's right back up after taking a huge flat back off the apron onto the concrete, not mm -hmm. a mat. But he hit that thing like a sack of shit, and it look you know he's teasing that he hit his head, but he's right back in the ring. You know that that's that should be the end of a match. I can't imagine. That that's not, but it's not the end of the match. He's in, takes a suplex from Mill. Mill goes up top. Of course, he's got to get his shit in, kid. Flying right. cross body, that'll do it. And that's the end of the match. But an unbelievable bump. And it wasn't technically the finish. Mill still wanted to do his finisher. That should have been a count out right there, right? Yeah, it should have been. And, and as a result of all this, the real star of this show, of this match, was Cactus Jack because of the bump. I am so glad you said that because this is a match where cactus loses, but when it's over, nobody's talking about mill maskers and the flying yeah. cross body. Everybody's talking about cactus Jack, the bump he took outside of the ring, not just that concrete bump, but the one over the chair and we're not done. We're going to see a vignette here from Missy Hyatt. And you can mm -hmm. tell Missy is nervous as a long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs doing this video. Can you not? Yeah. And you can also tell it was kind of rushed because. They, they, if she's nervous, she's nervous because they didn't take the time. See, I always like to blame them. They didn't take the time to settle her down and I, do I agree. 
a hundred cuts. She, that's exactly right. I was going to say, if you let her do that 10 more times, she's going to get yeah. a really comfortable, natural sounding exactly. one. But the first time you see that red light, it's natural for anybody to get a little oh nervous. My God. Look, it's a, it's a skinny Matt Coon in a red top running away from Cactus Jack. Had a band here that night. And then they had the, uh, they had the drummer who looked pretty damn good. They called him Wolf. And they're Wolf. clearly trying to set something up here with a guy they're calling a drummer named Wolf who's got crazy pants on. Uh, like he's either a rock star or an independent wrestler and they get into it right away. Cactus yeah. Jack Manson or captain Jack Manson. And he yeah. brawling in the crowd, clearly working punches, but I thought this segment really made cactus. You did. And then we're going to fuck it up with Norman. Uh, if I was, I, a, if I was a wrestler, I would be a king or this guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> it does look like this could be one of your offspring in about 30 years. So the, the drummer that he beat up is actually independent wrestler JT Southern. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I kind of like the, if you go back and you listen to it, watch it again, take a look at the understated transition that Gordon Soley does. I, I just, it was just, to me, it was great. Gordon Soley basically let's go to Gordon. It's crazy. Gordon says, well, that certainly is wild. And meanwhile, I mean, just the way he, the way he transitioned things was great, but, um, Whatever happened to Norman? You know, I'm not sure. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about cactus if that's okay. Sure. Uh, according to the rumor and innuendo, the way mill got on this show is, or at least according to Cornette, Jim Barnett's working in the office at the time. And he feels mm -hmm. like, Hey, since we're doing a show basically on the border of Mexico, we need a big Hispanic star. And they thought mill was about as big as they could get. And Jim Cornette is the person responsible for getting Mick in that match, uh, he and Kevin Sullivan were big fans, but flair really didn't see anything in Mick at the time. So they book him in here whenever they can. And this particular bump that we were talking about apparently is one that Jim saw cactus do in Memphis. And he asked him to take this bump on the clash. And obviously they featured it. Um, it's not nearly the most famous bump that Foley ever took, but it is probably the biggest one he had taken on national TV. And it was, uh, at the behest of Mr. Jim Cornette. So I'm sure somewhere Foley is really appreciative for that opportunity. Cause this was a showcase moment for him. Uh, now we go to the Atlanta zoo with Norman, another one of these vignettes, kind of like the Dr. Death, Steve Williams vignette in the back of the ambulance. And Norman's going to walk through zoo Atlanta. And he is going to go to the pigs and say that the pigs represented Kevin Sullivan. Uh, I wonder, and after I saw this match again, uh, you know, I, I know Kevin was part of the, uh, of the booking and Kevin was very influential. You know, Kevin beat the shit out of Norman during this match. Yeah. I, it, it almost to me as if, you know, Kevin was always the type of guy who, who liked to, you know, new guys, bring them in and really beat the shit out of them and really not necessarily teach them a lesson, but let them know this is how wrestling should be. It should look real. You should, you should really uh, be tough. Norman has his gut hanging out right under his, uh, under his uh, mental hospital outfit. Of course, now in 2018, you couldn't say he's from the mental hospital because that would offend all the nuts out there. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> what is wrong with you? I love... Hey, we don't want to offend the nuts. We can't. 
<laughs> oh my God. Even when you try not to be, you just can't help yourself. I love it. Well, that's just, that's the era I grew up in. You know, just have, you know, we're doing, we're doing wrestling. We're doing comedy here. Have a, have a thick skin. There's watch. Go see. Where's Dave Silva. Yeah, there's Dave Silva in the back. He's still got that red Harry Potter robe on. Uh, and, and so Kevin Sullivan is going to beat the shit out of Norman. I thought this was an entertaining match except at the end, but I can tell you this, when you said clash 10 at Corpus Christi, we were going to do this. I remembered two things. I remembered cactus Jack falling on his back. And I remembered the shitty finish for this in the, in the ladies bathroom with Norman coming out with the, uh, uh, with the seat of the toilet seat on his head. Now, Kevin is going to beat the shit out of Norman here. He'll do a little selling here, but uh, basically, uh, Kevin looked good here too, didn't he? Kevin looks phenomenal, and yeah. uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that these guys are, um, man, they're getting after it. I don't know how to describe it. If you haven't seen this, you, you need to see Kevin Sullivan just brutalize his opponent here in Norman the Lunatic. Yeah. And Kevin did a lot of brutalizing. Uh, I go back to the very first, uh, star K to where, uh, uh, he gave Scott McGee his first blade job. If you go back, you watch that. You'll see it. Uh, Kevin was like that. Kevin just, uh, sure do have a lot of fun. Still talk to Kevin to, uh, these days lives out uh, on the West coast. Uh, of course he's got a, uh, a podcast as well. Uh, very outspoken guy. We, he and I talk baseball a lot, but. See the pro he is, turned himself around, got him in position for Norman to do uh, his uh, splash that he missed. But he wanted Norman to have a, a point of contact, a point of reference. Wow, drop kick on the back, and now they're going to take it to the back, and this is when it kind of gets silly. But Kevin, look at this. Now, this is tremendous. Norman did a good job helping himself up, but Sullivan just picks up Norman, covers his fat ass, and there's a two count on the floor. Uh, By the I, time I got the WCW, Norman was on the way out. Norman allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo from Jim Cornette, was one of Jim Hurd's ideas of how to get kids interested in wrestling. Because I know yeah. when I was a kid, I was not a Norman the Lunatic fan. Right. He thought that okay, Norman the Ding Dongs and the goddamn Candy Man was the way to go. Right. And he also would have had Long John Silver, Peg Leg. One leg man, a hunchback. He would have. He thought he, he. We need to get guys that can also teach the kids a history lesson. Oh, belly to back suplex. If you can call it that. Yeah. <laughs> Why would Kevin Sullivan, at four foot nine, attempt <laughs> a belly to back suplex on a four hundred pound man? <laughs> I don't know. You can't get your arms around him. Yeah. He's, he's two you, feet taller than you. Yeah, there's just a lot of. In the heat of the battle, one thing I know about wrestlers, in the heat of the, not everything is choreographed the way it is today. Uh, in the heat of the battle, you do what it takes. It, you just improvise. You really do. And Kevin was doing that. Kevin now, right now, looking down on his opponent for the first time in his life. At, Kicking him in the fucking head for real. <laughs> no, he is. <laughs> Norman's thinking, oh, what the fuck have I got into? Oh, my God. Norman has blown up sky high here. <laughs> That's right. So Kevin, Kevin, knowing this, what's he going to do? He's going to take some of his air supply out. Oh, I love it. God, you didn't love Kevin Sullivan, man. You just didn't love wrestling. 
It's amazing uh, how much of this, you know, I had sort of forgotten specifically, you know, that cactus Jack thing. When we first covered it, that was really uh, the bump I remembered the most, but I didn't remember attacking him after and and how almost it didn't happen. Uh, According to Mick in his book, he wrote that when he first got to the building, Cornette told him that he would be working with Mil Mascaris and Foley was a little disappointed because he knew that Mascaris wasn't going to sell or give him anything, any offense. And he knew the match would suck. And then all of a sudden he's told, Hey, it looks like Mill his fl- Mill missed his flight. So we're going to put you with somebody else. And then of course he learned that was really just a swerve. Mill wanted to be a prima donna and not sit around the building all day. So he took a later flight and, um, there you go. Wow. Does that's a backstory that man. Here's what here's what Foley wrote. Much as I had predicted the match, to use a cornet term, sucked a dick. But when the time was right, I made the most of the young audience uh forget that Mascaris had ever even existed. I yeah. briefly took over on the used up loser and threw him to the outside where he gingerly landed. And then I picked him up and gave him a weak backbreaker that he was so frightened to take. He actually put his hands and ass down on the ground. So he finished the move in a sitting position. Come on, Mill, I thought. Show a little bit of pride in your work. At that moment, I wondered if having the ability to suck in your stomach and walk on your tiptoes for 25 years was really all it took to become a legend in the business. Wow. Then again, bell bottoms were big in the 70s also. So there may have been a lack of sense all the way around. Wow. I guess Jim Cornette didn't like Mill Mascaris, did he? Uh, I, I don't. And that was actually Mick Foley writing that. Oh, Mick Foley wrote that. I'm sorry. Mick well, Foley, yeah. who, who very rarely buries anybody, right? could not wait. And uh, he, he says, all I wanted to do was to be able to kick out of at least one pinning attempt, which would have made me look like Superman after that bump. But when I'd earlier told Flair about this plan, he told me in no uncertain terms, this match is not about you, no kickouts. So instead, Mascaris pinned me and walked to the back as I waited for indignity number two to transpire. Yeah, he feels that way. But, you know, uh, again, you, you go back to what you remember, what you take away from events, right? Mm-hmm. What what sticks in your mind? What what uh, stands the test of time? And that bump does. As pissed off as he was about the match at that time, the, the bump is is the match to me. And I, I don't think the fans of Corpus Christi even even gave a shit about Mill Mascaris. He hated the creative with fighting with a band member. He wrote, "Southern and I got into it, but the fans were not supposed to know he was a wrestler." So it looked to most of the viewing population like I was getting my ass kicked by a musician. After the show, Joe Blanchard, an old-time wrestler and promoter who was currently in charge of the Texas Ring Crew, offered to take me on as well. He said, well, you already put over a wrestler and a drummer. I figure you might be willing to put me over too. Wow. So not too long after this, uh, Cactus Jack is fucking out of here. He sees, He doesn't think there's any sort of upside for him here. NWCW, so he's out of here. Nothing like Gordon Soley holding the microphone outside of a women's bathroom. We don't see the finish of this Norman no. the Lunatic match. He just comes out uh, yep. of the of the ladies' restroom holding a toilet seat over his face, which is probably something he does in his free time. 
He's also got a roll of toilet paper and Nick Patrick declares that, Hey, he won the match in here in the shooter, but you couldn't come in cause it's the women's room. Uh, that, that, that feels like a dusty Rhodes idea because he would have gotten a kick out of going in the ladies room, but we didn't see the camera follow it. So who decided to do, I mean, Dusty's not even here. So who, who booked that? Is that a Jim Hurd idea? Do you think he would have yeah. been the one campaigning for that? Uh, absolutely. A Jim Hurd idea to do something irreverent, do something different. I don't know what Jim Cornette had to say about it or Ric Flair, but I couldn't believe that any one of those guys would go over anything like that. Sullivan might. I mean, well, Sullivan did the job in the toilet, so to speak. Uh, let's, um, would- let's have you do a, a little limp sinking here because we've got Terry Funk in the middle of the ring and he's going to introduce Lex Luger for an in-ring promo. And this promo is fucking beyond words. It's so bad. Right. Um, Keller would describe it in the torch as a total bomb and Funk has to bail out of there because the bomb is going too long and he needs to throw it to commercial and he's got folks in his ear. So when we do get the long awaited entrance of Lex Luger here, I would love to hear you sort of relive what we did at Halloween havoc 1995 and just tell us what you think he's saying. You know what? We, we had such a great time in Halloween Havoc 1995. It's like, can I can I get back to that moment again? <laughs> I don't know if I get or not. I'll give it a here. He comes. Total Black Edge. Lex Luger out of the back. My God, it's David Lee Roth on steroids. Holy shit. Take a look at that hairdo. Think that wasn't poofed up in a makeup chair. Conrad, you're absolutely wrong. Yanking up on his drawers to make sure his belly doesn't. They gave him the title of the narcissist, and boy, was that accurate in the WWE back then. And here he comes. And now let's bring him in. The United States heavyweight champion, Lex Luger. Terry, turn around. Turn around. All right. The total package, Lex Luger. Here he is, the most magnificent wrestler in the world today. I want everybody to stand up. I'm looking at the hard camera now, but it's not on the hard camera It's to my left. And Lex, let's talk a little bit about what's going on. Well, Terry, let me say this. You're old. You've taken too many bumps. I don't sell shit. I can't talk. I can't wrestle. But I'm making more money than you will ever make in the business. Let me tell you a couple things about what's going on here. We got a guy in the back, Jim Hurd, who's fucking up the business. We got Jim Cornette who's trying his best, and Ric Flair trying his best to book shit. Regardless, I'm here. That's right, but we've got to wrap it up here very, very soon. Don't give a shit. we got to wrap it up. I've got something i got to say. I want you to take a look now, Terry, at my right hand. Do you see my index finger and my thumb? Hang on. I'll, yes, I do. Hang on. I'll show it to you once again. My index finger and my thumb will show you the size of my dick. Oh, my gosh. It is, it is it is kind of a little thing that I know Carol Burnett used to pull on her ear to say hello to her grandmother, but my index finger and my thumb, there it is again, is showing the world the size of my dick. So I just want to let everybody know, uh, size of his dick, that's what Terry Funk's thinking, that you may think that I'm out here talking about re- size of my dick again, showing about rest, talking about wrestling, but the oh, size of my dick again. But I'm really talking about the size of my dick. I know the nature boy, Ric Flair, has the biggest dick in the business. Oh, my gosh. Colonel Robert Parker. But I just want to let everybody know that I got the smallest one in the business. Now, 
let me say a couple of things about wrestling. Ugh, I have no what to uh, when it comes to wrestling. I have no. I don't know what to fucking say. It's time to wrap it up. I'm not ready to wrap it up. Time to wrap it up. But I'm not ready to wrap it up. The total package, Lex Luger. The end of this thing, Conrad, is what Wade Keller was talking about. Because Terry wanted to wrap it up. He had to wrap it up, and they were screaming in his ear. And Luger would not shut up. And finally, Terry got in and told him to shut the fuck up. We got to go. So, but I, I think we, there's the, there's the size of his dick again. I, I think we definitely can say that we found out if nothing else, the size of his dick again. Nothing else. We found out that between the thumb and the index finger, Conrad. My goodness. We found out the size of Luger's penis. The total package. The, the total package. Wait a minute. I'm not done yet. <laughs> yes, Lex, you are done. You're more done than you know. One more time. Right there. Size of it right there. Ugh. Brutal. Absolutely. What what a what a waste! I mean, this thing's just key, it's still going, ladies yep. and gentlemen. Hey, Lex Luger's still talking and saying absolutely nothing. No. Uh, may I add the U.S. greatest U.S. heavyweight champion ever? Yeah, yeah, you can, Luger. We're out of time. Look how pissed Luger is right there. You just you just don't cut off somebody like that. Why? Why did they cut him off? I I. I in retrospect, I I understand he was saying nothing. But what are they going to give? The Road Warriors and the Skyscrapers another three minutes? Let him go. Let me just tell you, these graphics that we're seeing slide in here feel very, very big time, especially at the time. It feels a lot like Saturday night's main event. The production quality is off the charts for the Skyscrapers. And I always sort of think of the Skyscrapers as Sid Vicious and Spivey. But here we've got mean Mark Callis teaming with Spivey and if you're talking about you know the the in-ring work there's no comparison this Mark Callis version is much much better Mark Callis was tremendous I remember when uh, uh, and, and to me Teddy Long here looks like Eddie Murphy from the Golden Child uh, but I remember talking to Paul E. Dangerously and Paul said that kid is going to be something and we're right. And it's amazing to see one of the biggest stars. How about this little vignette of them breaking up the cars? I, I thought this was tremendous. We see the road warriors here demolishing cars uh, as their entrance. And then they do a promo against a green screen with their graphic behind them. I think that's probably the coolest thing you guys ever did for the road warriors, including when you threw a pumpkin off a scaffold in slow motion. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, Paul Ellering, uh, most people remember Paul Ellering as the manager of the Road Warriors, and and he was a legit manager. You know that, don't you? Mm -hmm. I mean, he you know a lot of managers are working managers; they just talk. But Paul Ellering was their legit manager in that he took care of their travel, and he took care of all their bookings. And when you wanted to book the Road Warriors, you contacted Paul Ellering. Is this shoot. the most badass looking tag team in history? As they come through here with all the swagger you can fit in 280 pounds of muscle and the giant fucking shoulder pads with the silver spikes, the chains, the face paint, all black, their own version of Iron Man blaring through the speakers. I mean, 
the most badass looking crew in the history of wrestling, right? No question, but as Animal walks in and gets face to face with the Undertaker, the man to be the Undertaker, the Undertaker looks down at him. Yeah. I don't think there was any question that Mean Mark was going to be a big star. And you can it's really see some of that, you know, in in this match. And it's been a while since I've seen Mark Callis. I've always seen the Undertaker, of course, but his work here is tremendous. You know, uh, Jim Ross also said something during the course of this match that caught my attention. He said that uh, Danny Spivey had played football for the University of Georgia under Vince Dooley. Uh, and I, uh, I looked that up and I can't find it anywhere. I, I found out that he did go to the University of Georgia. But whether he played for Vince Dooley or not, I'm not so sure. But that's just another story. Should give you a heads up that uh, Cornette called Dutch Mantel and asked if he had any seven footers. And Dutch said, uh, yeah, I got one. And this is, of course, the USWA. And at the time, Callis was wrestling under a mask there as the master of pain. And Mark Callis winds up joining the NWA January 6, 1989. And Terry Funk gives him the name Mark Callis. To make him sound callous and cruel. Wow. Uh, right after this pay per view, though, that we're teasing here, Wrestle War 90, Mark is going to start working as a singles competitor and have Polly Dangerously as his manager to boot. Yeah. Um, so this is sort of short lived, and uh, it wouldn't be much later in the year that he would be wrestling on uh, Lex Luger at the Great American Bash on a jacked up hip, and Bruce Pritchard would reach out and try to arrange a meeting between he and Vince McMahon and the undertaker would come into our lives in November of this year. So we're seeing this in February and uh, in just nine months, the wrestling business and his life and career and financial situation are going to drastically change forever. Uh, well, I'm, I mentioned one of the greatest stars ever. Would you say that the undertaker is maybe one of the greatest gimmicks ever? I think he's the greatest gimmick ever, you know, okay. but, and, and I think that just based on longevity and yep. really, I don't know that anybody else would have been able to make it work the way he has in that the gimmick itself, if we're honest, is fucking yep. stupid, right? Yeah. Right. And if anybody else has it, it would be fucking stupid, but he made it not stupid. He pulled off, he pulled it off. And I mean, I know there's a lot of people who would say, oh, it's still stupid. Okay. He made it less stupid. There's just not a lot of guys who would have been able to do that undertaker character the way he had. I mean, I can't imagine another one. I mean, it was right time, right place, right gimmick. And he, he has earned all the accolades. I mean, you look how long he's been doing this. I mean, it's crazy to think that he might still be wrestling again. And we're watching him 28 years ago here. And, and he's not 28 years ago as a 230 pound guy. Right. Just amazing performer. The the durability is the thing about the undertaker. You know, people were talking in 97, like, man, the wheels are going to come off and he's going to, he's going to be retiring soon. All right. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. What, what made him such a, a big star back then or made it or what caught our eye back then was the fact that he was so tall and so big and he did a lot of the top rope walking stuff that no big guy ever did. That was reserved for the, the smaller guys to go up on the top rope and walk across. We're going to see a couple of those spots here. 
you know, Dandy Spivey and all this, we, we've, we've talked about the road warriors and their, their entrance and how badass they look. And of course the undertaker, Danny Spivey was no slouch. Now, of course he never was a big, big star, but he was, uh, he, he was a pretty good, big, a pretty good big guy in his own right. I thought, let me ask you this. Do you think if Danny Spivey would have wound up going to the WWF and became Waylon Mercy when he was a younger man, that gimmick would have made him a lot of money in the WWF. Yeah, I think so. It made him, it would have made him a bigger star than he, than he is, uh, appeared to be today. I think so. I feel like we okay. should mention that, uh, he's doing the Lord's work these days down in Florida, uh, in the rehab business, helping people get clean and sober and sort of hit the reset button on life. So he's one of those real success stories. And here we see the, uh, taker rope walk that we've all known. Well, before he was the undertaker, me and Mark Callis off the top with the rope walk, just as you said, the first time I saw that as a kid, I remember thinking that was one of the coolest things I ever saw. And I liked his finisher when he used the heart punch. Right. I, know, I know a lot of people think the heart punch is, is hokey, but I think, I mean, I think it was one of the more underrated as a kid. It made total sense to me, much more sense than the fucking claw. I love the heart punch. I don't, I didn't think it was hokey at all. I, I think it, I think if done correctly, if sold correctly, it was a, it was a, a tremendous maneuver. I, and, and you know, I know everybody's got their own opinion. I, I do understand, but, but see, Mark could do a lot of great stuff, man. He, he was just so agile as a big man. I think not to, uh, and fans may shit on me for saying this, not to take anything away from Mark. He made the undertaker work, but I think a tip of the cap's got to go to the, uh, to Percy too for what he added to the gimmick. Uh, and it was, it was more than just Mark. It was, it was a lot of things that, that made the undertaker gimmick. Great. The, the, the bell ringing, the entrance, all of that made it work. And then I guess at one time they tried to make him a biker, didn't they? Yeah. And, um, I guess I we should, we should mention here that Sid is actually out here with a punctured lung. Hmm. Um, or it was softball season, but it was definitely one of those. And that's the reason Mark is in here in his place. Yeah. And who's the bigger star now after it's all said and done, not a bad power slam by animal. You see lots of verbal cues here. You see Spivey yelling to Mark, come on. Right. And, uh, this is where it starts to get a little sloppier. They're not exactly sure what they're going to do. They double team him into the ropes and change their mind and then pick him up. He flips out. Here comes the clothesline. And then he just waves. Come on, Hawk. What's the deal? <laughs> and a double clothesline on the outside. Oh my goodness. Right down at the cameraman who looks a lot like Daniel Bryant. And now up on top, here comes what should be the finish. And you're thinking this is the finish right here. Mark, even Jr. said he's got a chair. He doesn't have a chair. Not yet. He doesn't wait till I get up top. And now they're going to go for the DQ. How planned was that finish? I mean, <clears throat> you saw Teddy long sprinting with that fucking chair to get in position. Right. He, he realized all of a sudden, oh shit, it's time to go home. Yeah. Just a bunch of green guys. Really. If you think about it in the formative years of their career, Teddy was too. Teddy had been a referee and now was being used as a, uh, as a mouthpiece or a manager. They're, they're teasing the spike pile driver here on the chair, but they missed the chair fucking completely. 
But Spivey more than makes up for it when he picks up yeah. the chair and starts swinging for the fucking fences right on Hawk. Absolutely he does. Of course, you know, he, he makes sure a lot of the chair hits the hits the mat, but you can't help but get a part of it on Hawk as well. Paul Ellering takes a bump and now, oh, and now take a look at the chair. And here's what they sold, rightfully so. Yeah, look at the chair. The chair is bent. I thought hitting the mat to bend the chair was incredible. It looked real. Yeah. And then the aftermath of the chair, what you're left with. I mean, as a kid, you couldn't tell me nothing. They just wore his ass out and the trash comes into the ring and we're going to commercial really an underrated match. I know that you know, it's probably not going to win match of the year, but I really enjoyed that. I'm a big fan of watching the early Mark Callis stuff. And here we see a promo for doom again, against a, a green screen with, uh, the atom bomb behind it. And this is a, a monumental night for doom. Doom's been around uh, once upon a time. They were with Nancy or woman. Uh, now they're with Teddy long. Um, an interesting situation for them is going to be coming. I guess they're not with Teddy long here in this match, but no, they're, they're still supposed to be with woman. And the, the graphics will show that uh, doom with woman, uh, are coming out, but woman never arrives with them. So uh, again, it's a, it's a little storyline here that they just kind of glossed over. I got to tell you, Tony, when you guys had the uh, action figures for these guys, when you had a butch Reed or a Ron Simmons action figure, I would have much rather have had them as doom as a kid. I would have much rather have had the mask on. I mean, no disrespect to the great performer that Butch Reed was, but as a kid, I didn't want a damn Butch Reed action figure. I wanted doom and, and doom to me was really cool with the black mask. And it's so simple, but it's so old school. I mean, there's no question as to who they are. If you're a wrestling fan, which I found hilarious. Another one of these cool graphics pre-produced, uh, with, uh, old ham cubes and school board. Um, (laughs) what? (laughs) <laughs> nothing school, school, I ain't getting into that. He lives closer to me than he does to you. Some school board hey. on his way to the ring ham cube following up still my favorite tag team as a kid. Uh, I just thought the Steiner brothers act was just the absolute coolest act of all. Yeah. You know what else? I want to go back to doom again. I thought doom was much cooler than butch Reed and Ron Simmons. I'm glad you and, said that. And, and their music was, I thought their music was tremendous. Now, you're not going to, if you, if you rack this up and watch it again, you're not going to hear, the, with the exception of a little snip of the real Doom music, you're not going to hear the real Doom music. Now, you're, you're hearing the real Doom music on our show today. I know you can't hear the music, but we yeah. have real Doom music on the show today. That's right. It was just really, really cool. And, and this is a, uh, again, this is a title versus mask. So, uh, Conrad, we're going to unmask Doom and find out who they really are. Yeah, because Which, that, that two inches of cloth that covers their cheek is yeah. really throwing us off. Right. <laughs> it really is. There you see the graphics, Doom with woman. She ain't there. So, once again, how do we let that happen? I feel like I should mention these blue tag team titles that you're seeing here with uh, School Board and Ham Cube. Um, Dave Milliken actually has those, and he occasionally will post a picture of them. They're the legit ring used ones, not like you know, replicas. Uh, he is at Dave Milliken on Twitter. If you'd like to see that, I'm sure he'll post some stuff yeah. once he hears this, but, um, this is, this is a good match to me. And I know that, uh, I, I guess I'm a mark for school board and ham cube, 
but I enjoy this era of the Steiner brothers about as well as any tag team ever. Yeah, I agree. And, and also, I think we should mention here that Doom is in the black. Scott is in his singlet, uh, which is black, but has been colored in by Sharpies. There you see Caution Yellow. You see Day Glow Green. You see Passion Pink. And you see another swipe of a star of a Sharpie, and that is the color Butthole Blue uh, that is on that singlet. Uh, so uh, it's all colored in by Sharpies, and here we're set to go. And Ron Simmons is telling, uh, I'm sorry, <clears throat> Doom Number 2 is telling Scott Stein, if you like to go home, you can go home now. Scott said, I'm not ready to go home. Not yet. So Pretty good little rivalry got, got going on here. This angle started when woman appeared at ringside as a fan named Robin Green. She appeared to have a crush on Rick, and they end up going on a date where Rick meets her at a hotel room because we're all tied. And she was dressed as the woman character, which we would come to know. Uh, previously, she was wearing pigtails, glasses, and a hat whenever she sat in the crowd. Mm. And at the Clash of the Champions in September of 89, the Steiners challenged the then tag team champions, the fabulous Freebirds, for those belts. And Green is sitting at ringside, and she accidentally trips Scott, and he gets DDT'd and pinned by Michael Hayes. And the Steiners would eventually win the tag titles in November of that year. Uh, but she winds up turning on the Steiners and then brings Doom in to take them out. And Halloween Havoc 89, Doom makes their debut. So they're only in on October of the prior year. Here we are in February, and the masks are already come off, coming off. Along the way, though, a woman would end up putting a foreign object, or I guess it was an international object, you guys had to call it, into Butch Reed's mask. He headbutts Rick and gets the win. And then at the Capital Combat pay-per-view, we would go on to see the unmasked doom defeat the Steiners for the tag belts here. But tonight we're in for a different treat. We're finally going to figure out who is doom number one and who is doom number two. It's amazing. I, it, it shocked me when the mask came off and I found out exactly who they were. Steiners always got a lot of, of reaction from the fans. Uh, and, uh, hell they deserved it, man. I, I also take a look at this match, uh, Conrad. And I take a look at Scott Steiner, the way he looks now, and the way he looked as Big Papa Pump. I know we've touched on this before, but my God, what a transformation. Not just that, but you think about what star power these guys have. You know, at this point, I think a lot of people in the business thought Rick a few years prior to this that Rick Steiner was going to be the big star. Right. And people even suggested he should beat Ric Flair for the world title. And then around this time, you see that, no, now it's Scott Steiner. The tides turned a little bit and people think that he can be the big single star, but he never wanted to stop tagging with his brother. So he never really pursued a singles run, but this era, Scott Steiner could have been the guy to the point that Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson even pitched him coming in as a surprise and winning the Royal rumble and having a title match at WrestleMania. A few years after this, when they actually make their way over to the WWF. But again, Scott wants no part of it. He wants to be a tag team guy. And that's because I, I, and I, and I'm not trying to put words in Scott's mouth, but here's my thought on that. Scott, until he became big Papa pump, until he had that gimmick, until he became that arrogant prick that he, that, that big Papa pump was Scott was not a very good talker up until then. As as just Scott Steiner, he was a very he was a he was not a good talker, and I don't think he had the confidence to be a singles competitor at that time. 
as we move along in his career and he becomes Big Papa Pump and he gets that gimmick and, you know, holla if you hear me and my freaks and all that stuff. Prior to that, he could perform. He could do great things like the Frankensteiner and some drop kicks and was powerful. But that's where it stopped. And I always thought that to be a tremendous singles competitor, you had to be a good talker. And he wasn't. Now, Pat and Bruce in the WWE may have developed that for him. But I just don't think he had the confidence to do that right then. Am I wrong about saying that? Nope. Because I, I did a lot of Steiner interviews, and a lot of Steiner interviews we had to redo because they got mixed up in what they were saying. And it was just guys who, who could wrestle but just did not, I don't know what we're doing here, did not talk. I, I don't know if they screwed up a spot here or what. Or maybe that's just being, that's just Rick being an oddball. I actually like it. You know, it's almost like he's, uh, he's portraying himself as a dog and, um, he's ready to attack. And so when a dog gets like that, yeah, I could see how you would approach it that way. I think one of the things I, I like so much about doom and I guess I'm just now putting this together as I'm watching it is you remember the, uh, in the eighties and I guess early nineties, but really the eighties, they had all those like straight to VHS ninja movies that were coming out oh. seemingly every week that you could go to the video store and rent. Right. Doom yeah. looks like a couple of foot soldiers who work for the big boss and some ninja organization. Do they not? Yes, they do. And so like, I'm ready for them to like have swords and like 900 other ones come out yeah. and then somebody's like gonna, you know, command them and they're going to march, you know, in lines and they're going to take over the world and there's a nuclear bomb and they need a billion dollars. And right. It's and just, it's super yeah. old school, corny, campy. 80s villain stuff. And I just dug it, man. It looked just like that to me. Yeah, and the boat taking off from the uh, coast and going two miles out and them taking a running start off the pier and jumping onto the boat. You got it. So you've seen this movie that we just made yes, up. I have going two miles out. Uh, and in the middle of this, fans are really into this great German release suplex by Rick Steiner. It's funny how when I, when I watch this stuff back, such little things stand out so big to me, like the mat and the, the, the color of the ropes and the turnbuckles, one set being blue, another set being yellow. That's, I mean, that's what I most closely associated WCW with at the time I had the little toy wrestling ring. And, you know, I think most kids listening that were my age had the action figures and all that. And this look is one that I miss. And I wish that some independent somewhere would do. And there you see a ruse. On the foot of, uh, Rick Steiner. I know you weren't privy to the financial deals a lot of times, but every now and again, you'd go participate with something in the office and see something. What's yeah. that, what sort of compensation do you think there was for this ruse sponsorship for the company? Uh, I have a feeling the company got, uh, got a pretty good chunk of money. I, I have a feeling the the kids, the guys didn't get much on this F from a company standpoint. What do you, what do you think? Oh, uh, I can't even guess $50,000 per oh, show. It's, it's got, oh, okay. Per show. I thought you meant period. Yeah. Oh. 50,000 per show. Maybe I'll tell you what though. You only need 24 99 over at lowestrules.com, and you can get a variety of awesome shirts. Probably the most popular is still Tommy young. Am I right? Tommy young is the most popular one. I, I've, I've called a lot of people who got Tommy young shirts and a lot of them say, would you do me a Tommy young on the phone? 
And I start by saying, well, Conrad Thompson is the one that can really do Tommy Young, but I'll do my best. So I do Tommy Young. Uh, Conrad, why don't you give us Tommy Young? Well, I was going to say, let's do a Tommy Young off. Like I'll go and then you go, or you go, then I go. Okay. Tommy Young. Tommy Young. You come over here. You, (laughs) you come over here. You jerk me off easy way or hard way. You choose the easy way and hard way. Also available at lowestrules.com. Hard to beat. Damn. I am good. Low key. Big hog. Uh, suckers gots to know. I broke Wahoo's leg finger licking, which finger licking is actually kind of cool right now because I don't know if you saw this, but Ric Flair just had the opportunity to portray Colonel Sanders at the Royal rumble. Did you see that? No, I, I didn't watch the Royal rumble. So at the Royal rumble, they did a promo and they gave Ric Flair a KFC robe. So it's got pictures of the chicken and the buckets and the letters. And he came out in full Colonel Sanders garb, looking only as he can look. Oh my God. I'm going to have to check it out now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it feels like something everybody should check out. You should check out LoisRules.com. forearm, forearm, forearm. It's your official Royal rumble shirt. Hashtag NFL TG, the Shivani wedding, maybe the most appropriate shirt to talk about during this match. Conrad Iced. <laughs> Try the ham cubes. Uh, a little familiar font there that you may recognize yeah. mm-hmm. and maybe the best shirt we've ever sold because Tony Schiavone in every match he ever called, called the series of moves, full arm dragon twist. Now, right. was he saying drag and twist or was he saying full arm dragon twist? You decide over at lowestrules.com. And when you pick up a shirt, he is going to call and personally thank you for doing so. So you're not just getting a shirt, you're getting an experience at lowestrules.com. Like to say, I'd like to add something that, I, that I've that i started to call internationally now. So if you've been, uh, if you've uh, bought a shirt and you're from England or you're from Berlin, Germany, uh, or you're from Australia, New Zealand, I eventually will call you. May, you're going to say, wow, it's taking him a year, but I just started calling internationally. I talked to Spencer uh, and Ashley, both from the UK this past week. Uh, Spencer told me something that, uh, that, that I really appreciate that, that uh, we, uh, we make him smile each and every Monday. We bring a smile to his face. We entertain him, make him laugh when he's had maybe a down year. Uh, I appreciate that. It means a lot. So love to call you. Love to talk to you. Buy a shirt and we'll talk. And now on the outside, we see doom number two. Still not so sure who that is as they roll Scott Steiner in. One of the fun things I, I appreciate in wrestling from this era before, I guess everybody got on board with this, just the television product is the way the heels are really playing with the crowd too. And you see Ron Simmons getting them riled up and to see fans really buying into it and jaw jacking with the heels, it, it added a lot of believability and a lot of uh, hype to the match. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, you know, and now in today's society, uh, there's a, there's, I don't know if you've, if you saw the, uh, if the fan go, go on the, uh, on the court and getting uh, Russell Westbrook's face and he pushed him and, uh, just things have changed today. The society has changed. We're talking about 28 years ago. Uh, and of course now you take a look at what the fans do in the WWE. They're almost a part of the show now, but back then it was legitimate, legitimate heat back then and the, the, now the fans are into the Steiners coming back Scotty's done a good job of selling here making the hot tag Rick is 
holding on to that ring ro- ring rope or holding on to the the turnbuckle and the tag is made. And here's the hot tag, Conrad, because the fans are buying into it. Clothesline. How many of those have we seen tonight? A lot. Oh, yeah. And the Steiner Power Slam. That should be the finish. And now all four men, well, actually, three will go at it. He's going for the mask. Conrad, who is it? Who's it going to be? I think it's Bob Barker. No, wait a minute. Is that Bru- the head reaching what? for the mask? I thought it was very interesting the way the mask came off here. It's Brutus the fucking barber beefcake, isn't it? Watch this. Yank. Oh, my God. Oh, it's Bill Mulkey. It's the Mulkey brothers. My God. They've been on, they, they've really pumped up and they've been in the tanning bed. Holy shit. That means the other one's Randy Mulkey. Here's a roll up. And Rick Steiner has the doom mask on. One, two, three. Oh, great imp- improvisation by the Steiners that time, and they win it. I thought it, w- I thought it was interesting that they were trying to force the mask off and trying to force the mask off, and then it whoop, came off so easily. And they're still the world tag team champions. Wade Keller gave this match a C plus. I enjoyed it though. I did feel like the reveal uh, of the mask could have been done a little differently because you know he's supposed to unmask if he loses, and he just yanks it off. But when he does, boy, the crowd goes nuts. Really an enjoyable match. Two of my favorite tag teams from the era. And you're exactly right. Pretty clever of Rick to just throw it on. Add a little comedy to the situation. Yeah, that and that was all Rick Steiner. That that's what you think Rick Steiner would have done. We had his singlet covered with Sharpies as well. And, and now Ron Simmons is gonna to have to take off his mask as well. And what's funny is An announcement comes through that if doom number two doesn't remove his mask, he will be suspended from wrestling, (laughs) not from WCW, but from all of wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. And butch Reed, I mean, doom number one won't be, he will be suspended from wrestling. (laughs) Oh, here's the big reveal. Huh? Randy Mulkey. Holy shit. The Mulkey brothers were the world tag team champions. And we didn't even know what's crazy to think about is almost two years later from this, that dude's the world champion. Yeah, he sure is a legitimate badass too. No, a lot of them were, well, he, he's, he's as uh, Rick flair has famously told on the podcast when old ham Cuban school board would be running roughshod over guys in the back. Yeah. He said, Ron, why don't they ever fuck with you? <laughs> I'm unfuckwithable, Rick. <laughs> I just love that. I do too. That's, I love it because it's a shoot. <laughs> and now what we're doing here is, uh, Jr. and Corny are, uh, helping waste some time so they can build the cage. And they're trying to explain exactly what's going on here with the sting situation because sting is in line for a title shot now and he's supposed to be uh taking on rick flair but they're both in the horsemen the horsemen take great issue with that and so they've given him two hours which means roughly the end of the show for him to make a decision here and then they beat his ass anyway right well the decision is uh give up the title match and as Oli said we'll let you live so they're going to go back and replay some of this again. 
And again, this is giving the cage a little bit of time to uh, to get built. I was uh, when I watched this, and of course I was watching this again up in Connecticut. And you know we were we were the arrogant pricks back then, uh, and so we were laughing at everything they did. Uh, when this cage was finally built, I was I was really surprised about the way the cage looked. And I don't know if this was a cage that was easily built for their time constraints because this is before they you know, brought the cage down from the ceiling and hooked it to the ring before they figured that out. But this cage was a black cage instead of the silver cage. And I guess a couple of things here, maybe it was easier to build and maybe they thought it looked better on television. Maybe they thought the, the old uh, chain link fence cage did not look good. But the, to me, the chain link fence cage always looked ominous scary, creepy. Didn't it look that way to you? It looked like, man, you could really get hurt in that. You could really get hurt in that. Hello, are you awake? I'm here. Oh, shit. But didn't you think the the the, the cage was, was like that? It's a fucking chicken wire piece of shit, man. No, no, it was not a chicken wire piece of shit. You could use, you could use somebody's face like a, a head of lettuce or a head of cabbage. And rub their face across. That was good shit, man. Now maybe I'm too old school, but I like the old school shit. No, I did too. Yeah, I'm talking about this cage here today. It's chicken wire oh, piece this, of shit. Oh, this one today. This one's a piece of shit. Yeah, no, absolutely I, piece of shit. I, I like the old school war games cages the best. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't hate the big blue one uh, when I was a kid, but now as an adult, I can see why that sucks, and I can see why this one sucks. But you want to be able to get your camera angles in there. Uh, so I'm sure this is more TV friendly. And instead of the big video package treatment here, uh, we just get a stand up with, uh, Gordon Soley and another very serious promo from Ole Anderson and Ric Flair's wearing one of my favorite robes he ever wore. I don't know where that is, but if you know, send me a tweet at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. It's his green peacock robe. Clearly one of my all time favorites. Obviously Rick doesn't know where it is either. Does he? No, I wouldn't imagine he does. Yeah. And Arn Anderson, who. Oddly enough, is one of the great talkers in the business. Says nothing here. Well, I mean, you really talk about great promos in the business. You got Ric Flair, you got Ole Anderson, you got Arn Anderson, you got Gordon Soley. I mean, these guys knew how to turn a phrase. That's the most promo ability maybe in the history of the telescope. I would agree. Absolutely. Uh, it's worth mentioning the uh, jackets that the horsemen are wearing here were sold very briefly. Uh, and not a lot of, uh, fanfare for those, but they're a pretty rare collectible item these days. If you can get one of these old school satin horseman jackets, do you have one? I do. Uh-huh. I had a feeling that was it. Ding, ding, ding. I don't just have a jacket. You have a number of them. I have orange jacket. Oh man. Good shit, buddy. It's not, it's not your jacket. It's not my jacket. It's not any jacket. It's orange. It's orange jacket. Talked to Arnold on the phone two weeks ago. Long discussion. And you know what the discussion was? It was about how Vince McMahon doesn't want him talking to you. <laughs> no, we talked about family, dogs. Uh, you know, he's a big Georgia Bulldog fan. We talked about college football a little bit. Uh, and so, wild thing. Here comes Teddy Long. Wild thing. Wrestle War 90 coming your way. Brought to you by Turner Home Entertainment. The nature boy, Ric Flair, looking as only he can look and sting with the scorpion. There's Lex Luger 
coming out once again. And we'll give you a little time to talk. And Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and another silly vignette. Let's blow up the world with the Road Warriors. That's right. It's wild thing. There, there's a little ham cube for you there, uh, Conrad. Oh, ham cube and school and uh, school board. Yeah. Um, wild thing. Wrestle War 1990. You've got to see this promo. We've got it posted right now on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. Wild thing. Isn't that something? That's Turner Home Entertainment at its best. Okay, so the promo, the couple of in, and now we're going to take a look at the great Muda who was over like fuck, wasn't he, at this time? It's interesting because um, this is a real hodgepodge-looking deal here Kendall with the, the Dragon Master, mm-hmm. Mad Dog, yeah, and Great Muda. I mean, clearly it feels like Sawyer's in here just because he can talk, right? Right, and he can bump. He was, he was a pretty good little worker. It just feels like a, a hodgepodge group of guys to throw together. Like how, what do these guys have to, I mean, why are they together? It's a little weird. Rick actually gave Muda his first pinfall loss in the NWA back during the Ironman tournament a few months earlier at Starcade. And man, they sent Muda out with a bank. A sting beat him that same night. So after him being this unbeatable figure, he loses twice in the same night. And that's in an era when wins and losses mattered a little more than now. So right. I feel like this maybe took the shine off of him a little bit. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe so. But I, but I, I think all of us uh, watching wrestling back then and a part of wrestling back then knew that Muda was wins or losses was absolutely tremendous. And not only that, this is a this is a match that had more of a storyline than it was a match, and Muda didn't really get to do much in this match. The the the, the it was more of Sting trying to get in at nature boy, Ric Flair, then it really was a match. A four horseman, uh, graphic here. And then Flair cutting a promo against the green screen, which is kind of weird because we just saw a horseman promo, but we're getting another one. It feels like a little bit. And I know, I mean, I wasn't against it. I'm a fan, a little bit of an overdose of Ric Flair on this episode. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, it's back in the era where no one took a step back after they formatted the show, took a step back and said, should we do this show was formatted and we did it or they did it. In addition, if I'm correct here and I remember when this happened and now as I watch it again and I watched it earlier, I think a bank of lights went out here. That, that's that's correct. And, and you may yeah. also remember that sting was supposed to be in this match and he was even in the graphic that they showed right, right. there because this is supposed to be Rick Arn and sting. Uh, but that is not going to be the case, of course, because they kicked Sting out earlier. But he's still in the graphic, and you're exactly right. All of a sudden, uh, a bunch of lights go out, and this looks a little dimmer than normal. Yeah. Which you know, I was laughing at it when it happened by, by that time. Uh, but uh, it made it look cool. It made it look cool. They look cool. Now uh, again, if I'm right, the Dragon Master was one of the Kendo Nagasaki's at one time. Uh, didn't have a, a too good of a look here. Uh, I had a chance to work a little bit with that, uh, with uh, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Really? In the old Crockett days back in the in the back, you know, when we did the promos. Uh, he always spit all over me when he was doing his interviews. He'd come in, he'd have the cotton mouth. I don't know why. He'd have the cotton mouth and he'd scream his 
Mad Dog Buzz saw your stuff and he would just spit all over me and it was gross. That's what I remember about him. The uh, Japanese version, uh, Kendo Nagasaki, is uh, 69 years old now. Wow. Ric Flair sporting the world's heavyweight title here, the big gold belt, uh, probably one of the most beautiful belts in wrestling history. And a lot of people think that Sting, as we see him on the cover here of the Wrestling Wrap-Up magazine, is poised to be WCW's answer to the Ultimate Warrior. As a reminder here, this is February of 1990. So we're just a couple of months shy of the ultimate warrior beating Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six and it being uh, a supposed passing of the torch. And here on WCW, at least the plan would seem that it's going to be Ric Flair passing the torch to sting. And that's certainly what they're setting up here with them teasing him being kicked out of the horseman. But the plan is delayed a little bit because of something we're going to see in a minute. And it's going to involve a big injury to sting. Um, when you were watching this, obviously, you know, at the end, it's very evident that sting is having trouble walking. Right. Did you guys identify right away? Oh, he's fucked. Yeah. We knew he was hurt. Uh, obviously we didn't know what it was. We found out, you know, he blew out his knee after that. I. You know, I thought maybe that he dropped off and, and, you know, turned an ankle or something like that. But when Rick goes after him, it's pretty apparent that they are telling Rick as he's going after him, you know, he's really hurt, especially when he goes over to the side. So, yeah, we, we, everybody, I think everybody that was in the business who was watching knew that something bad had happened. And what's, uh, what's odd about it was that he heard it the second time he came out, he went out, they drug him back and then he ran back again. And that's when he hurt himself. So if he'd have just done it one time, maybe it would have never happened. Now here's that shitty cage again. And I guess maybe that's looks better on TV. They got a cameraman in there. There you can see it's gotten real dark. So a uh, lot of shadows and a bank of lights have gone out. Oh my gosh. WCW here is, uh, you know, I know we've talked about it a lot and, and you like to poke fun at WCW 1990, but I really enjoy WCW in 89 and 1990. I think it's good stuff. Well, it is markedly different than the WWE, right? It really is. It's an alternate. It's an alternative, I should say. So if you didn't, if you thought the WWE was too uh, childish with the cartoons and Hulk Hogan and saying your prayers and taking your vitamins, this was a legitimate sport. At least it was portrayed that way. And they tried to be different. And I think that's why WCW was good. As we moved on years and years later, and I've said this many times, and I don't know if you agree with it out there. I don't really care. I really know I'm right on this. We became a bastardized version of the WWE. We became WWE light. And why would you watch us when you could watch the WWE? So, and we just stayed the course. We would probably, instead of going out of business in 2001, would have probably gone out of business in 2002. Who knows? There's the lights go out. Look at that. They're wrestling in the dark. Now we finally see Muda come in, and, and the fans are going really reacting to Muda. Muda but, is so over. Do you think it's the face paint, the mist? What was it about Muda that just captivated American fans? Well, I, I think because the motherfucker could could do some spectacular stuff like this handspring he's getting ready to do. That was tremendous. We've seen handsprings that, that don't look good. That always look good. 
Uh, and of course, the, the, he was mysterious. He had a, he had a great look about him. Uh, and uh, that now that's it. That's about all you can see of Muda. Here comes Sting. Wants to get the Ric Flair. Doug Dellinger pulling on him. Chief Wahoo McDaniel. How about that? A Wahoo McDaniel sighting. God bless him. He was an agent back then. Uh, and here comes my buddy Tom Zink. And they're trying to get Sting down. Flair reaching, hammering Sting. Zink pulling on him. Trying to stay away. They're going to kill you. And now the security, Wahoo McDaniel, Doug Dillinger pulling me back. Everything's okay right now, fans. Meanwhile, in the ring, Matt, uh, Mad Dog Bud Sawyer and Arn Anderson going at it. It's when he comes back again that Sting gets hurt. Uh, but but again, right now, Conrad, the uh, the the match is secondary to the angle. Right. It's all about the angle here. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's pretty cool. Pretty good little storyline here. Wow. The uh, ratings for this match go through the roof. They get a 5.9 during the match, yeah. which is almost 4 million homes. And Cornette would say that Doug Dillinger, who, uh, as we know, is a former Charlotte police officer. Uh, and I guess at one time, did he run camera for Crockett? Yeah, he did. He was the uh, head of security, of course, here. And he yeah. grabs Sting and... Uh, Cornette would say Doug didn't know it was a work. And when he pulls sting down for real, uh, when sting lands, he tears his ACL. I don't think that's exactly the way it happened, but that's at least the way Cornette recollects it. And Rick doesn't know that sting's been hurt. The plan was for this to look a little different than what we're going to see in a minute. Right. Uh, but when sting falls, he tears his patella tendon. And so he's walking up the ramp limping, but Rick thinks he's just working. So he's going to run and tackle him wide open. Right. And you see Brian Pillman and others trying to smarten him up. And Sting is saying, Rick, my leg's broken. Please get off of me. Yeah. And it's not his fault. Of course, he doesn't know. Um, and Cornette said after the clash, Rick told him to stay the night. And the next morning, they'd fly together to the next town and talk about what they're going to do. Because all their plans of sort of passing the torch here to Sting and to have it happen before the ultimate warrior can beat Hulk Hogan. They want to sort of be the first to pass the torch. All that's out the window. And Jim said, Rick said something like, unless one, one of us can squat down and shit a new baby face superstar, yeah. we're switching to Lex Luger. Mm. So you never know, right? In, in the, in the wrestling business, if it's going to be your turn or not and what can happen. Now sting had hurt his leg. Now dropping down for the second time, try to get back to the match. And everybody's outside. Wow, Arn Anderson with a great DDT and covering the Dragon Master for the one, two, three. And now Flair is going to take off for Sting here. Open up the cage, and Flair is going to sprint like he talked about, trying to get to Sting. And now everybody but Flair knows that Sting is really hurt. Wow. Wow. Man, that was tremendous. Had Sting not been hurt there, that would have been a tremendous pull apart to go off the air with it's worth mentioning here as they're fighting, uh, and, and the, and the show's going off the air that they make the switch to Lex Luger on February 17th on TV. And it's clear that that's the direction they're going to go when there's an angle with the horseman woman. Uh, and of course, uh, Lex Luger, they all take turns beating on Luger. And then, you know, Hey, this is the direction we're heading. And Hurt is sort of upset with Sting for getting hurt. Not like the guy would plan that. 
And he just wants Rick to drop the belt to Luger instead. And Rick sort of draws a line in the sand and says, he's not doing that. He's promised it to sting. They've been building him since clash of the champions. 88. We got to pay this thing off. I don't want to switch to Luger. I'm going to keep the belt until sting can come back. And Heard takes issue with this. And according yeah. to Rick boots him off of the booking committee. Cornette tells a different story. And, and this makes sense. You were 28 years later. Cornette tells a different story and says that Rick wound up leaving the booking committee because of Heard's constant interference. He actually writes a letter, a memo and sends it out to the company. Rick does announcing that he's relinquishing his booking duties because he feels like Jim Hurd's been undermining him. So Rick is no longer the booker on the 22nd. This match is happening on the sixth. So you're talking two weeks and change later. Um, Rick's off the booking committee. Lex Luger's the guy. Of course, sting comes back at great American bash in July in Baltimore. And, um, we finally get what should have happened in February. Uh, Wade Keller in the torch said there was a lot that was fun to watch here. There were excellent graphics, perfect camera work, good announcing a nice mix of interviews to matches. And the live band was a fun addition. But to where did woman's heavily pushed angle with flair disappear? Why was Maskers there? Why was the heavily pushed cage match? So downplayed and destroyed entertaining show, but open to critique and criticism, little actual wrestling. He gave it an overall rating of a five out of 10. We just wrapped it up here. Tony, what'd you think? How would you rate it? Uh, I would give him a, I would say it would be like maybe more of a six. I wouldn't go up. I wouldn't go to a high number on that. Uh, we know why, why Mil Mascaris was there because they wanted to, uh, I, uh, for the, uh, Hispanic fans, I guess the fans from Mexico. I think we know that. I, I agree that, uh, that the angle overshadowed the cage match to me, the cage match made no sense. Why have a cage match? And maybe there were angles building up to that, that, that I didn't see, but you know, to me, a cage match is the blow off right. of an angle. To me, the cage match was just uh, an aside to what the real angle was. We talked about that. So I, I would give it a six. Let's run through some questions on Twitter. These came in to us, um, twitter.com forward slash WHW Monday or facebook.com slash WHW Monday. If you've got questions for next week's white castle of fear, super brawl three, you can ask those questions on either Facebook or Twitter. Tony, I've got a handful here. We're going to rapid fire them. Are you ready? Let's go, buddy. John wants to know, is it true that they used to call Tony Old Tony two tits. No, it's not. Thomas wants to know, are there any good stories on buzz Sawyer? This guy seemed legit crazy on and off camera. Well, I think I talked about that, that, uh, during the promos in the back, he used to have a cotton mouth and spit all over me. He smelled really bad. He would come into his promos. He hadn't showered and then he spit all over me. It was really gross. Uh, seemed like a likable guy, but really gross. Raymond wants to know any fun, sir, Oliver Humperdinck stories. No, I don't have any fun, uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck stories, but he and I used to, used to talk a lot about the business. He loved the business, respected the business, knew a lot about the business. And I had a lot of respect for hump. Mike wants to know, what did you think of Jim Cornette on commentary with Jim Ross? I thought they're, they're very good. Uh, and I, and I thought they're very good because I like both of them. I, I just, it just seemed to me at times that they had that the Cornette had written down and he probably did this, but he was good at it had written down a lot of those one-liners that he would use and just kind of marked them off. 
Uh, have you ever hung out with Mill Maskers? I've no, I've not hung out with him. Uh, I've only been into Mexico twice. Kurt wants to know why did Tony want to come back to this shit show? Yeah, that's the question, right? I have, you know, I talked to Lois about that recently and, and I, and we were, we were, we were being serious and I told Lois, I said, do you realize how different our lives would be had I not made that decision to come back to WW or WCW? And she thought about it. She says, there's no way we could have lived in Connecticut any longer. We could not afford to live in Connecticut any longer. And, you know, uh, Vince had helped you out a great deal with uh, a lot of things moving you up here. And we're very nice to the family. And we really appreciate it. But there would have been no way we could have lived in Connecticut any longer. And I think about it back, and maybe she's right. Uh, sometimes you got to make that decision to do what's right for your family in the face of knowing that it's not good for your career. Now, she says that, hey, you've had a good career. Uh, you, I guess I have in many ways. But uh, it, it's still the biggest crossroads of my life when I go back and think about that. Uh, and I looked at it just on the basis of WWF versus WCW. I never would have made the move, but yeah, I went back to a bunch of shit. And as I mentioned, I sit in my uh, family room at home and cried a lot, cried, boohoo crying. I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> Does that make you sad? Mark wants to know, did Vince ever mention that he wanted sting or Luger around this time? No, not to me. John wants to know, did Tony have many interactions with Gary Hart? And if so, what was he like? Uh, Gary Hart, uh, I, my interaction with Gary Hart were back in the early uh, 80s when he was the manager of Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin. Uh, and I always thought Kevin had a great mind or Gary had a great mind for the business. Our interaction wasn't that much with the exception of some pleasantries when I was holding the microphone. Uh, keep in mind, guys, that, uh, and this is a shoot, when we had those interview days where we did local promos for the Crockett's, I stood in front of the cameras with a microphone all day, all day. The guys were in the back. We had a little bit of interaction back and forth, but any, any interaction, interaction I had with the guys were after we'd say three, two, one clear. And then they would say something to me as they walk off. So, uh, I didn't have much interaction with Gary Hart, but I had a lot of respect for him. Um, this is a fun one for me. Okay. Um, did the WWF have any interest in great Muda? I mean, that's part one, I guess you can answer that one. This is from Travis McDonald. Yeah, of course they did. Big interest in him. Do you remember any conversations you had with guys up there about maybe trying to bring Muda in? Well, I, I, I have a feeling I, I didn't have any conversation about bringing him in, but I just know by talking with Vince and hearing Pat talk and hearing Bruce talk when we would travel, how much they liked what he was doing. Uh, as far as any inner workings about trying to go at him, if they talked about it, they made sure they, they didn't include me in those conversations. I, I wasn't up there long enough to be with the inner. I was in kind of the inner circle, but not what I call the inner, inner circle. Mm -hmm. In other words, I didn't get invited to Vince's house to format TV or things like that. Did you ever see Klondike Bill spray mist? Nah, no, but I heard he did a lot. Uh, James wants to know when you went to the WWF, did you keep in touch with Rick or anyone else to see how WCW was doing? No, did uh, not. Douglas wants to know in Tony's opinion, who was the true nicest guy in wrestling, Bobby Eaton or Mick Foley? Wow. 
I have choices there, Bobby Eaton or, or Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus. I, I can't go to the third one. Sure. Uh, well, th- to me, the nicest guy in wrestling is always Arn Anderson. So Kevin wants to know, what'd you think of the endless list of accolades for Lex Luger? I, yeah, I thought they were all based on look and not on work rate, nor being able to talk. Kenny wants to know about the lighting and the way it changed from when you were here for Jim Crockett promotions versus what it looks like now, uh, when we're watching WCW, did you prefer the old Jim Crockett look or this look? Uh, the 1990s look. Yep. Well, I, I, I think I prefer the old Jim Crockett look and that's just because of my infinity, uh, uh, towards the Crockett's. Um, but I'll say this. I think that the lighting did not look as good based on one thing. And that is the ring mat. It was dark blue. It absorbed the lighting, didn't reflect the lighting. Vince's, uh, mats were whiter, were, were brighter. And that, that's a small thing, but I think the color of the mat, if it's a bright white color or a light color makes everything pop. When I, uh, when I went to, when I came to WCW from the WWE, I was told by Jim, uh, Jim, uh, Hurd and Jim Barnett that I would be the executive producer of syndicated wrestling worldwide in WA pro. And I would be in charge of the look, how the show would look. It would all be my decision, how the show would look. And I thought based on the year that I'd spent in WWE and how I had learned so much from Kevin Dunn, Kerwin selfies, Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard about how TV should look. I thought I would have a, a full, I would be in charge. I quickly found out that I was no more in charge than a man in the fucking moon, that there were too many people had their hand in it. They didn't like this. They didn't like that. There was political. And I'm not talking about in wrestling. I'm talking about in, in production. There was politics in it. And so I, I went into WCW thinking, well, I can really change the look of this. A month later, I realized, fuck it. I'm not going to be able to do anything here. And I just gave up as far as the producer is concerned. Well, we're glad you're not giving up on us, Tony. And um, I guess we should mention... Now nah, we won't mention what, we, what you were referencing at the beginning of the show. Let's talk about next week. <laughs> it's super brawl three. It's white castle of fear. And you don't want to miss it. It's one of the most wrestle crap things in the history of WCW. We're going to yuck it up old school Halloween havoc, 1995 style. So tune in next Monday for that. If you've got questions, you can ask them on Twitter or Facebook. He is at Tony Schiavone 24, but he won't check his tweets. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Our show is at WHW Monday. And of course you can check us out on Facebook, WHW Monday there as well. And Tony, when I look at the clock, I can't help but think it's about that time. It's about that time. It's Conrad Thompson. It's uh, Norman the Lunatic in a belly bump contest. They go to the back. Oh, and uh, Norman is stuck in the door of the men's restroom. He's stuck in the door of the men's restroom. Conrad, with a head of steam, knocks him to the door, into the commode. Conrad sits on his face for a one, two, three. The winner of the Bessemer Belly Bump Contest. 
Conrad Thompson. We're out of time. See you next week on WHW. What happened when Monday on the MLW Radio Network. Stops.